In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to begin this morning by saying thank you. It has been a gift to be in this community for the last three years. And I am a person who loves preaching. It has been one of my great loves for most of my adult life. And there's always for me a bit of a nervousness about standing up in front of a group of people and talking about how you interpret the scriptures or what your opinions are on social issues or just kind of sharing yourself in front of a group of people. I don't think that that is limited to just to me. I think anytime anyone stands in this position and offers these kind of things to a group of people as large as this, it can just be a vulnerable situation. But what I want to say thank you for is that I have never felt any fear in this pulpit that there was something that I could not say to you. You have handled everything I have had to offer. You have challenged me to see these scriptures in new and exciting ways. And so I just want to say thank you for that. That has been a gift to me as your priest. There is a fear, I think, for me uh, specifically because all of my life I have been a skeptic and a contrarian. I was the last person the pastor of my church wanted to see coming up the aisle after he had preached. The same thing goes for most of my Sunday school teachers, or uh, I grew up at a Christian school, so after Bible class, I was always filled with questions. There were just a lot of things that didn't make sense to me, and I needed answers. There are some of you in this congregation like that, because you catch me in the greeting line. And there is a moment in my own life of faith that sticks out. My grandmother, who I have shared about in previous sermons, uh, was a great woman of faith, is a great woman of faith. And at a certain point in our lives, I think I was maybe 16 or 17 years old, she decided to start a Bible study in her kitchen specifically for our family. And we're a big family, but there weren't a lot of us that, that came. But really, I think that this Bible study was planted for my two cousins, who uh, one was a year younger than me and the other was about three years younger than me. And they had not grown up in church. They had not had that same opportunity. And as they started to come up into their teenage years, I think that my grandmother recognized that they began to explore like the inner contours of their own inner life. They were searching out their own faith and their own questions. And my grandmother opened up her kitchen table as a safe space for us to come and ask these questions. And so for months, we gathered around this table and we read Bible stories together and we asked our questions and we talked and we dug deep in the scriptures. And it really was, I think, a great success for us. Like we grew together as a family. But I remember the day, I don't know if it was the last Bible study that we ever had, but it was the last one I think that I was invited to. My cousins started feeling very secure in their faith. Perhaps there has been a moment in your own life of faith where you begin to feel like, oh yeah, I've got this figured out, right? This was them. And they came, and as we were gathering our supper and getting ready to have uh, our, our discussion, they begin to talk about other religions that they were learning about and how we were more right than they are. <laughs> and so they started making comments like, can you believe that there are some individuals who believe that after we die, we will get our own planet? How silly. Can you believe that some people one day believe that a great alien is coming to take believers away? And that that alien is going to gather people up in a spaceship and rocket them off somewhere into the atmosphere? 
And I was sitting there quietly and listening to them. And finally, I just couldn't resist any longer. Actually, this doesn't sound very strange to me. If you replace planets with mansions, if you replace aliens with Jesus, if you replace UFOs with the second coming, it sounds a lot like what we believe. Now, the reason I bring this up is not to compare us or to say that we are the same, but to notice, I think, in community that the language of faith is, by its very nature, absurd. The language of faith is bizarre because we are trying to brush up against something that we otherwise cannot see or cannot touch or cannot witness. And with our words, we try to explain things that are beyond our understanding. And so these stories come out as fantastic, as supernatural, as unbelievable. And you and I, the truth is, probably wouldn't believe these stories if we gathered together today and heard them all at once for the very first time. You kind of have to slow roll it or else it is difficult to swallow. As human beings, we are just limited. We just only have so much language to talk about these kind of things. And we only have so many stories to tell. Joseph Campbell once commented on the story of the hero with a thousand faces. In other words, when you peel back that first layer, that mask underneath it, we are telling the same story over and over and over again. And that does not mean that the story is meaningless. It just means that sometimes we have to recognize that we are not quite as unique as we believe that we are. I want you to think about, just for a moment, the last 50 days. The journey of Pentecost, or from Easter to Pentecost, This 50-day period where we read some of the most fantastic and unbelievable and absurd and bizarre stories in all of the gospel accounts. I want you to really reflect upon the stories that we have read together over the last couple of weeks. The story begins with a person who the state decides to crucify, to execute. And this man's followers who have been following him for three years think that all is lost And three days later, this man resurrects from the dead. This is a strange story. The next week, these followers are gathered together in an upstairs room, and they are terrified. They are absolutely afraid that they are going to meet the same fate as their Lord and Savior, the man who they believe to be the Messiah. And they are locked away, and suddenly this Jesus appears in their midst. He materializes like something out of the original Star Trek, right? Scotty, beam me up, right? Just all of a sudden, particles appearing amongst their midst. The next week we read a story about two unnamed disciples on the road to Emmaus. And you know this story. And suddenly Jesus is with them. Perhaps not appearing, right? But coming up next close to them. And they journey together for a little while. And Jesus is unlocking the scriptures for them and talking to them about things that they knew but did not understand. And it is not until they are sitting at their dining room table and they are breaking bread that their eyes are suddenly opened to see this man who they have known for a long time but could not recognize. And at that very moment, as the bread is breaking, poof, he vanishes right before their eyes. A few weeks later, we read a story about Jesus talking to his disciples, that he is going to prepare a place for them, somewhere that they cannot go now, 
somewhere that they cannot go on their own, somewhere that they do not know the directions to, but one day they will be allowed to go. The next week we read a story about Jesus promising these same disciples that He will not orphan them in the world, but He will send a comforter, an advocate, a spirit that will be with them forever. And then the next week we read the story of the ascension. Maybe one of the strangest stories in all the Scripture. I want you to imagine that after this service, we walk out into the courtyard and we gather around Steve Gilliam and all of a sudden he floats into the heavens. That would be a very strange moment. And I don't know if you've flown on an airplane lately. By the way, you were just in my eyesight, so you got used, but that wasn't planned. But you can go up for a very long way. Imagine how long they must have just awkwardly stood there and watched him float into the heavens like a balloon until they could not see him any longer. But today takes the cake, the most bizarre story of all the day of Pentecost. These believers gathered together after the ascension, wondering what is next and what will their story be. And they are inside of this room, and all of a sudden, inside of a building, there is a significant weather event. A mighty rushing wind indoors. And as they are looking around, trying to figure out what is happening, tongues of fire appear on their forehead. Imagine you were at lunch today, and you were having a conversation with your friend, and a tongue of fire appears. But in the story, everyone's like, yeah, this is natural, this happens. And then suddenly everyone begins to speak in tongues, different tongues, languages that they do not know. Only everyone who is around them begins to hear them speaking in their own language. I do not blame you if you are here for the first time today and you're going, yeah, I don't buy any of that because these stories are purposefully absurd and bizarre because they are trying to teach us something that is beyond our understanding otherwise. So what are they trying to teach us? I think at the heart of these stories, if we really want to understand them, we have to strip away the fantastic And I have said this to you before, but sometimes I think the supernatural and the fantastic in these stories sometimes blind us from what is actually happening. And we can spend our whole life chasing these kind of supernatural events, trying to repeat or recreate them, and in so doing, we can miss what these stories are actually about. These stories, these 50 days of bizarre and fantastic and absurd stories are really about a small group of friends. People, a community that had journeyed together. And when that community started, they did not know how long they would have together, but they did so much good work in that short period of time. And not only were their lives changed, but it felt like the whole world was changing around them. I don't blame you today if you hear these stories and you say, I can't find a reference point, something to relate to in these other stories. I've never witnessed resurrection or uh, people appearing or vanishing. I've never uh, gone to a place that I did not know directions to in another dimension. I've never watched Steve Gilliam ascend into the heavens. I have never heard someone speak in other tongues and heard them in my own tongue. It's okay if you don't relate to those stories, but guess what? You can relate to the human story just under the layer, the first layer of these stories. Because you and I are living that same story this morning. We have been together about three years. 
We have journeyed together and we have shared a mission and a calling. And before anyone assumes that I am comparing myself to Jesus, let me be clear. It is you who have been Christ to me. In the last three years, I have spent so much time in these services with you, sitting in my office, visiting, going to lunch, being in Brown Hall, going to dinners. And there has not been a moment where I have not looked in your face, where I have not heard your voice, where I have not listened to your stories, where Christ has not been made present to me. And that's really the rub of this, right? Is that you and I are called to be Christ together. It is never just one of us. So this is a story about people saying goodbye, about transition, about new becomings, about things that people did not expect. And the story is still fantastic, even when you drop all of the supernatural elements away. And what I love about the story of Pentecost is that this story is not a conclusion to one smaller localized story of just a few people carrying the gospel truth throughout the world. But the day of Pentecost is a story not about a conclusion, but about an expansion, about the obstacles that had once blocked that message from being any bigger than just that small community, and instead that message being introduced in such a way that everyone could speak it and hear it in a way that they would understand. And too often, I think, in the church, we try to say things like, well, if people can't come in here and understand what we do, then, well, tough. And yet the story of Pentecost invites us to realize that God is calling us to speak in languages that other people can understand, where they can hear the voice and calling and love of God. And my belief is that this is exactly the right community to do that. You have already done it well, and you will continue to. And today we are having our own day of Pentecost of some sorts, because I do not believe that this transition is a conclusion, but I believe that it is an expansion of our story wider and larger and more filled with love and grace and affirmation and welcome and hospitality because that is what we have been called to do from the very beginning. And this church is awfully good at living into it. Amen. I invite